scripture reading from Ephesians chapter uh, 2, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 10, but focusing in particular on verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with, with which he loved us. Ephesians, uh, and this is on page uh, 976 in the few Bible. Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a, a result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Pray with me again. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would um, minister to us, that you would um, enlighten our minds and enlarge our hearts uh, to perceive uh, your beauty. And to even be able to see our own sinfulness and our need greater uh, than ever, our need uh, for your mercy. And so we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Last week we looked at an astounding passage from um, Jeremiah, uh, and the, including these words, My heart, God says, my heart yearns for him, that is Israel or Ephraim, I will surely have mercy on him. God's heart yearning for his people. He'll have mercy on us. And yet, as we hear those words, there's something in our consciences that even daily declares, that's not just so. It, it can't be true. God is not that generous. After all, I know what I'm like. And it is easy to think that God is running out of mercy, at least in our case, perhaps in your case. In this uh, brief series that we've been going through uh, based on Matthew 11 and the implications of Jesus having a gentle and lowly spirit, we are reminded again and again that God is greater than we can imagine. His mercy and love and kindness is larger than we can grasp. It is not at all that he is permissive. Just do what you want and he doesn't care. He is not casual about your holiness. 
but he is generous in his rescue from the wrath that you and I deserve so that we too would have zeal for holiness with a good conscience before the Lord, set free to serve him with joy. That's what God is after in us. And so one more look then this this morning at God who is rich in mercy. Verses 4 through 6. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. God's compassion. His mercy is his compassion and his kind heart to relieve sinners of their burden of guilt and sufferers from their burden as well. In our weakness, we learn to cry out to him for help. In our rebellion, we learn that God actually reveals himself as the God of mercy, which draws us more and more. Uh, to be honest in our humility and our humble repentance before him. I'm struck again by, by this uh, notion of God identifying himself as the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful. That was his name. That's how he described himself in Exodus chapter 34, following the glorious release of the Israelites from Egypt. Uh, they're being led through the Red Sea. They're being provided for in the desert. They're complaining immediately. God's giving the law and them having a a raucous party at the base of the mountain, even as Moses was on high with the Lord. Even in that context, although he disciplined him, he still identified himself. I am your covenant God, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful. He doesn't reject his darling child. Amazing. Notice the text said it doesn't, it's a, it is not simply that God has mercy, even a lot of it. It is that the Lord being rich, being in his nature rich in mercy. As Thomas Goodwin put it, Mercy is natural to him. It is his nature, his disposition. He shows mercy with his whole heart. As the prophet Micah said, he delights in mercy. He delights in in displaying his steadfast love to his covenant people. I want you to imagine that you have a wealthy benefactor. I want you to imagine that uh, you may ask him for any amount of money that you wish. And yet, you may be reluctant after a while to go back to that benefactor. You're thinking he might say, what, again? And you begin to think, I get it that he's loaded, but is he generous towards me? And so it is that you and I make withdrawals on God's mercy, if you will, every day. Sometimes really large withdrawals. And we may see him more like we see ourselves as miserly and as reluctant to give more again to us. So, and this is the tragic part, we stop asking. We stop believing. After all, I've offered up this sin before. 
will he hear me and forgive me again? We stop asking, we stop expecting. Mercy, however, isn't something he has in dwindling amounts. It is who he is, being rich in mercy. I can remember a a few years ago now, uh, clearly remember standing with Gail at the the top of uh, Niagara Falls. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to be there to see that. But it is, uh, it, is, uh, it is simply amazing. And I remember thinking about God's mercy as I was standing there. This is something like God's mercy. I'll give a little math for you, okay? Um, it, it, is said, it is said that there, there are 5.5 billion gallons of water coming over the Niagara Falls every, every hour. 5.5 billion gallons. Well, with my trusty calculator, I factored that out to be just under 100 million gallons a minute. And then I find this to be just overwhelming, that, that it, it is then also 1.5 million gallons a second. And that's, that's like this, 1.5 million Day after day, month after month, year after year, inexhaustible. It is the nature of Niagara Falls to have a, a flow of water at 105, 100.1.5 million gallons a second. It is it is unstoppable. It is superabounding. And a picture that God delights to show of His mercy. He is not reluctant. To rescue sinners, he is not reluctant to come alongside sufferers. The context in Ephesians chapter 2 is, is really dark, really dark, but he has more than enough to supply your desperate needs. When some people think about being a Christian, they think it's something like this. Well, I suppose I've made some maybe not great decisions along the way, maybe one or two. Um, maybe I've gotten myself into a little trouble, even done something wrong here or there. I guess there is a need, there, there is a value in having a relationship with Jesus. He's kind of like a life coach. Wouldn't that be good to have a life coach to help me with my decisions? And yet as we read this passage, it is not just that we are nice people, just a little bit misguided. Christ came to raise what kind of people? Dead, dead people. Dead in sin. Hearts that were stone, could not respond to him, and were instead living in rebellion against him. In fact, following uh, Satan, who is the prince of the power of the air, perhaps not knowing it, but following the evil one. It's even more than that. The Spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Do you hear this? Not only turning our back on God, but mankind has also then followed the ways of Satan in his darkness. But not only that, he even indwells their hearts. That's how desperate we are. And so by God's grace, as we see that, and we see that that the Lord is rich in mercy to that kind of sinner, to that kind of self-absorbed person, to that kind of self-preoccupied person, 
who lives for self and not for God, if God is rich in mercy for that person, well, then that's amazing for me as well. And so we read of the prodigal son, uh, the story in Luke chapter 15. Uh, and, and we, But when we read that, we think it really is talking about one son who needed grace. That was the, that was the guy who, who ran out, who left home, who rebelled publicly and partied loudly down to his last penny and certainly wasted his life and came back to the father, realistic with this realistic question, could there possibly be any grace left? Good question. That's what he dealt with. Could, could I be welcomed back home? And yet the Father's uh, generous mercy just stuns us. He saw him from a distance. He began running for his son. He, he draped his arms around his son's neck. And, and Charles Spurgeon, I think, properly understands this. He didn't just kiss him. He covered him. He kissed him again and again and again out of his delight and merciful heart to see his younger son home. We get that. But the main point of Jesus' story is that the older brother stayed home too, too and was just as lost. Um, you, you can give in to fleshly passions by breaking the rules, but you can also uh, give in to fleshly passions by keeping them and being outwardly clean like the older brother. He was dutiful. He was consistent. He kept all the rules. But he identifies his relationship with his father or his activity towards his father as one of slavery. I've worked so hard. It's been a drudgery. What, is, what does that even mean? He, he obeyed but without love. He had an outward obedience but was not happy in his father. Pretty simple. And therefore never saw his father as generous because he didn't think he needed it. So who? The younger brother or the older brother? The younger son or the older son? Who was in a more precarious position? So we here want to say, Lord, show us our hearts too. Show us even how we have wandered. Because we want to glory in your mercy. Even if we are the ones who have stayed at home. It is true, though, that we may feel disqualified. We may feel that there's little mercy left for us because we may have ruined our life in one way or another. Several ways that we might do that. One is to look back on, on one life-changing choice that we made. Look back on your life. One life-changing choice. Things went south after that. Perhaps a big sin. And that from then on, you were damaged goods and saw yourself as irrecoverable. I, I had a friend years ago who described his, his own life that way. He had in his defective theology, defective, this is not the way it works. He had in his defective theology that because he had made a left turn where he should have turned right, if you will, God put him on the shelf, his language. And that is technical language for God said, you're no longer useful. I'm going to put you up here and you're basically on probation until you die. But you don't have my heart and I can't really use you. 
What kind of a father is that? That is defective theology, my dear friends, but we can also have some of that in our own minds. I've made a bad choice. I'm damaged goods. I'm irrecoverable. Everything else from now on is going to be stained. Not so. God is the Redeemer. God is the great recoverer. Or perhaps you think you're you're aware of a hundred little choices that you make every day that simply prove that you're unworthy. Maybe it's the words that come out of your mouth. They are caustic. They are cruel. They are cutting. Maybe it's the fact that your disciplines are just... have gone up in smoke. I don't know how else to put that. You just give in to your appetites. And you feel um, your own, because of that, your own self-despisal and believe that God certainly views you the same way. Perhaps there's something that you've done that has been you are deeply ashamed of and it leaves now no more room for mercy. And that excludes you from being one who may receive from God mercy because you are so undeserving. There are ways, I'm simply saying, dear friends, there are ways that we can disqualify ourselves from being recipients of God's merciful heart. J.R. Packer puts it this way, and I think it's beautiful. There is a tremendous relief in knowing his love to me is utterly realistic, based at every point on his prior knowledge of the worst about me, so that no discovery can disillusion him. That is God about me. God sees it all. He sees the worst and still loves and has, and has great mercy upon us. Tremendous relief. J.I. Patrick calls. So, you have in Jesus um, all, um, all the mercy you need. Paul in Titus chapter 2 puts it this way, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. The grace of God, not just in language, in words, and in teaching, and in symbols in the church. But the grace of God has appeared as a person. Jesus, God in the flesh, who himself is pure mercy towards his people. It is a discipline of faith to take your eyes off of yourself and to gaze upon Jesus. It is a discipline of faith in the midst of discouragement or suffering or an overwhelming sense of your sin. It is a discipline of faith to take your eyes off of yourself and gaze upon Jesus, who is the grace of God, appeared in the flesh. And in him you see all the evidence you need of God being full of mercy, being rich in mercy. For Jesus himself was uh, carried our sins and carried our shame. Um, He was mistreated. He was misunderstood. He was betrayed. He was abandoned by friends and abandoned on the cross by his father himself. Suffering in that darkness, not for his own guilt or shame, but for the guilt and shame of those who would put their faith in him. 
And he is rich in mercy and bids you today to come to him. If you've not done this before, come to him trusting that Jesus is the one who provides the full, lavish mercy of God upon sinners. And you want it. And you want to sit under that flow of Niagara Falls and take in, receive the mercy of God. Now, two implications I want to point out just briefly before we conclude. And one is that mercy unleashes repentance in us. Mercy unleashes repentance in us. Sin is a burden. Sin is always a bad idea. Uh, Sin is a dead end. It is a a chain around your neck. There is no good news in sin. What do you need? You need to hear the mercy of God beckoning you to come to acknowledge that sin, acknowledge what it is. But he's got so much better for you. A peace of conscience. The smile of the Father's face upon you. That, that flow from Niagara Falls and you say, pour out that water on me and cleanse me. And the Lord Jesus Christ brings you, beckons you back home to a way of sanity and freedom. That's what the gospel delivers. A peace of mind and heart and sanity. And when you see God's mercy like this, the thought that it might lead to presumption or just freedom to sin and do whatever you haven't understood, the first thing about God or the first thing about the gospel. Mercy doesn't lead to presumption. It leads to a heart dedicated to serve this God who has laid down his life for you. Mercy unleashes repentance in us. But mercy also unleashes our mercy towards others. A story in the Bible about a servant who uh, was forgiven a large debt but received God's wrath because he found another servant who owed him a little bit of money and he he, uh, he was very harsh with him. Um, a, a servant who has been forgiven a large debt will show it in how he treats others. Here's, here's the beauty of it. Having received the mercy of God, instead of grabbing a, a, a fellow servant's neck and squeezing it, your fingers release, you give mercy, you give forgiveness, and the mercy of God has stirred that mercy in your heart for the other one. And that's, that's how we live together in the church. That's how we live together in our families. It is a wonderful and glorious thing. God, being rich in mercy, pray with me. Father, we ask for even a glimpse through word and sacrament today that our minds would be enlightened and our hearts would be enlarged. And that we would, by your Spirit, your Spirit work work in us and sweep away those things that cause us to question or doubt um, your merciful heart. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.